Welcome to Apparently, the podcast for absolutely average parents. I'm Ann Johnsos. And I'm Tracy Weiner. Life is good. Ann and I have been friends for a really long time. Yep, we met right out of college in our first jobs as radio producers, and we had a lot of fun living it up in the big city. And then we grew up, got married, and stood up in each other's weddings. And we had babies within weeks of each other. So we went from producers to reproducers. Which brings us to this podcast. We want to talk about topics that interest us and you. And let's be honest, this year, there's no shortage of stuff to cover. We're average, not experts. So we'll tackle these topics with people who know what they're doing. Yeah, we'll get the experts. And I fully expect to embarrass myself along the way. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we already have. So welcome to Apparently. Life is good. So apparently the impact of COVID-19 on our kids' social emotional development is pretty clear. Our kids need healthy relationships with peers and adults outside the home, but we're in the middle of a pandemic and that's darn near impossible. So these kids are being cut off from their friends and teachers and mentors with screens as their kind of their only connection to their friends. And it has led to depression, loneliness and hopelessness and even anxiety. I just read a report, Anne, from the CDC that was released back in November showing that emergency room visits for children's aged 5 through 11 were up by 24%. And for kids aged 12 through 17, it was up by 31% from the previous year, all due to the loneliness and depression and anxiety from the pandemic. Yeah, you know, so teens and young adults are more depressed and suffering higher levels of psychological distress than those a decade ago. One in every four or five U.S. youth meets the criteria for a mental disorder. And this was even before COVID hit the country. Anxiety is the primary mental health problem and affects one in four kids between the ages of 13 and 18. We've talked about anxiety and depression before, but it's hitting us even more now with isolation, remote learning, social distancing, and all things COVID. And I was also reading about empathy since 2000. Empathy in American kids has gone down dramatically faster than throughout the rest of the world with other kids. And there was a University of Michigan study I read about that suggested today's college students were 40% less empathetic compared to their peers 30 years ago. So that was also startling to me as well with empathy because you think about that when you're thinking about kids' social emotional development. All you have to do is go on any parent page on Facebook or read stories about kids struggling with anxiety and these mental health strains. Remember last time we talked to Ron Lieber and when he was talking about the big aha moment mm-hmm. he had when he was talking to college presidents and how the college presidents were like, they had no idea they were going to have so many kids dealing with antidepressant medication or having to run all these health clinics and that they were overwhelmed. So just all of that together, it's kind of depressing. It sounds kind of depressing, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah, but you know, maybe not. I recently heard someone say, turn your obstacles into opportunities. Or that might have been a fortune cookie. We've been ordering (laughs) a lot of Chinese food. Um, But the phrase made me think about how I should try to flip the switch when I'm feeling overwhelmed. And that's where this podcast comes in handy. We get to talk to experts who make us feel better. Today, to talk about raising healthy, empathetic kids who will survive and thrive, we bring in Dr. Michelle Borba, an educational psychologist and expert in parenting, bullying, and character development. Yeah, Michelle is the author of the book Unselfie, Why Empathetic Kids Succeed in an All About Me World. By the way, I love that title, Unselfie. Oh, God, I 
Nah. It's perfect. And her new book is called Thrivers, The Surprising Reasons Why Some Kids Struggle and Others Survive. Michelle is an NBC contributor who regularly appears on the Today Show. She's been on Dateline, The View, Dr. Phil, Nightly, NBC Nightly News, all, all of that you've seen her about. Thanks so much for joining us today, Dr. Borba. Oh, you are so welcome. I was depressed just listening to everything you were saying there. Gosh. Well, there's hope. There's hope we can do this because resilience is learned and it's not inbred. It's not DNA. And that means maybe there is a silver lining to all of this. And that's a reset on our parenting. What are we going to do differently? Because if it's not a pandemic, it's going to be something else down the pike. It's an uncertain world. We're raising our kids and they're going to need more than knowledge for a skill set. Well, we've been wanting to connect with you for several months now. And in your first book on selfie, it kind of talked about empathy. And in your new book, it's called Thrivers. And given the statistics that we've already talked about earlier, and after all your work of decades worth of kids and and scientific research, what can you predict about this generation of kids and their ability to thrive? I assume that you have thought of that because that's the title of your book. I've been thinking long and hard and losing a lot of sleep. I think the first thing is we got to look at the science. And here's what we do know. Some of the best stuff in the world has been longitudinal studies. In fact, this is why I wrote Thrivers, because they've been tracking the same groups of kids for 50 years. Kids who've lived in enormous adversity. But for some reason, a third of them overcome. They become caring, competent, capable kind of kids. And now the big question is, why? What did they have going for them before they got into that, into that whatever adverse situation is? And the, the commonality to every piece of scientific research is two things. One is they've already got them. A caring, competent adult who refuses to give up on the kid. So be the champion. Be there for them. Be calm and cool because that's what your kid needs. But the second thing is somebody taught them some protective factors, some coping skills. And as a result... When push come to shove, a thriver is a kid who goes, I got this because they've got skills that can help them get through. Now, a crisis only amplifies pre-existing problems. So that's why I'm losing a little bit night's sleep because unfortunately, guys, we've been putting so much time and effort into the GPA and the test score that we forgot the kid. And now we need to push the reset. It's not just knowledge. It's also skill sets. And the best news is, resilience is teachable. We got work to do and we can. So we are living in unprecedented times. And I need to get that on a t-shirt, by the way. Um, (laughs) There's certainly no playbook for parents. So what should we be looking for as signs of anxiety in our kids? And do you have any first steps if we see these signs? Well, the first thing we do, yes, I think the easiest thing, because every parent is going, I'm so worried, but I don't have a, a medical or mental background in terms of a professional, I do. I say, use the two index, T-O-O. Watch your kid a little closer, because every kid's going to have a bad day. But what you're looking for is a concerning behavior that first is different from your kid's normal, and it lasts too long. The second thing, it spills over until at least every day for about two weeks. It's going into too many other areas, and your own radar is up like, something's going on with this kid, and I am worried. So pick up the phone and get help. There's absolutely enormously powerful mental health professionals available for you. And the second thing is, I really suggest we start resetting this of what science says. Too often what we've been doing is focusing on our kids' weaknesses, instead of their strengths. So if we flip the dime, uh, when you look at 
thrivers, the first thing I ask you to do is go through and just take a moment and fill out what's called the core asset survey. Uh, get a different color pen for each of your kids, but figure out what their loves are, what they gravitate towards, what their learning styles are, what excites them, what gives them a, a sense of, I got this, mom, I got to keep doing with this. There's where you begin. You start with, here's what you're good at. And one of the things I discovered, why? Because Emmy Werner's phenomenal work on re- resilience said, resilient kids also have hobbies. They use those to decompress. I don't care if it's reading or music or puzzles or woodwork. When I asked the kids, when I was writing Thrivers, uh, what are your hobbies? Most of them sat dumbfounded, like, what the heck is a hobby? Who's got time to do a hobby? Because they were so, so scheduled. Hobbies can start to reduce the anxiety. And if you don't have time to know what the heck does the kid like, then start introducing family hobbies. Let's figure out what the kid likes. This week, we're going to do National Geographic and we're going to do travel documentaries. Does your kid like that? Next week, we're going to do just, let's do woodworking. Let's see if your kid likes that. Next week, we're going to get grandma involved and see if she can teach us all knitting. Do we like that? First of all, maybe that's where we begin. I have a question. Is watching TikTok alone in your room a hobby? (laughs) No, because it has to be healthy. Okay. All right. Here's the other, no, here's the other thing. Parents always ask me, what's a healthy hobby? And I always say, watch your kid. When he's doing whatever it is, does it look like he's energized and excited? Or is it the end of it, does he look like he's more agitated and more irritated? Forget the irritated, agitated one, because so many of our kids' hobbies are nothing more looking at a screen and instead doing something interactive. And when it's the thing of, oh, gosh, I can't get a hold of my my friends, you start bonding with other kids' friends' parents, and you find regular playdates. I don't care if the kid is 13, 15, or 3. So they can either do book clubs together online, they can do knitting together online, they can do review of their homework online, or they can just look at each other and play blocks when they're 3 online. They've got to do that because face-to-face connection is missing for our children, and there goes empathy, and as a result, there goes stress up, 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 and burn out the outcome. I like that part of the book when you talked about focusing on what they are interested in. It's like human nature. I, I don't know. You you focus on what they're like caboosing. I think Ann and I have said like, you're like, that was really great, but if you only did blah, 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 you know. So focusing on not what, what they didn't excel at, but what they're really good at, and it, it doesn't come natural. You know, it's it not doesn't. a natural thing for a parent. It doesn't come natural. But one of the things I wanted to do in Thrivers is show you what the science says, because not only is that going to help the kids thrive, but the reason I chose the seven character strengths of each one of these chapters is because not only does it help build resilience and lower mental health problems, but it also is highly correlated to peak performance in a classroom. So you got a win-win. Not only going to help your kid be a better learner, but it's also going to be help your kid be a thriver and reduce the anxiety and the stress. That's what we're all looking at. So the, we're now parenting for the long term, not for the A this year, but for the rest of the kid's life. So he's going to be able to handle life without you someday. So we're going to get into the seven traits in just a second. But you, you just talked about resilience and we've been hearing that again and again. Kids are resilient. Kids are resilient. What does resilience look like to you? And are there varying degrees of it? Yes. Number one is 
Answer one, yes, there's varying degrees of it. Number two, some kids are resilient in certain issues and not so much in other situations. So it's not this pervasive one program that works. That's the first thing. Number two, myths galore on resilience, that it's one trait. All I need to do is teach resilience. No, resilience is made up of multiple skills that we can teach. What's the commonality of a resilient kid? They have agency. They're not bubble-wrapped or helicoptered. In the end, they can do it on their own. They've got control or, I got this, mom. That's my definition. I got it. I can do it. I can get over it. And that's what you're looking for. A resilient child, it's not locked into their temperament. Some kids are going to be a little quieter when they're resilient. Some kids are going to be a little more outgoing. And it's not IQ or DNA related. It's all teachable. That means, parents, we got work to do because we can do this. Yay, that means there's hope for us. <laughs> yeah, there's hope. We got this. We just need a we just need a plan. We need an updated framework on parenting because a lot of the stuff we've been using actually counters the science. So let's get savvy. We got one time to do it. There's no rewind button on parenting. So you kind of boil down seven traits, like character strengths that could make the difference in whether your kid can handle and and not struggle with anxiety or depression and be resilient. Can we walk through some of them? And my first question was, is, are they all equally weighted or are they in order of importance? They're equally weighted because this was my on my own aha moment when I'm trying to figure out, okay, if this stuff is teachable and it's made up of certain traits, then which one matters most? What I discover is which one matters most is your child's strengths. So figure out, start with the core asset survey, or if you don't have time to do that, take a three by five card, walk around your house and start watching your kid without them knowing you're watching them and figure out what they're interested in, what they're gravitating toward, what their learning styles are. And that'll tell you, wow, that's their character strength. That's their trait. Now, what I discovered is one more trip is that when you have one trait, that's great. But if you have two or three in any order, it's called a multiplier effect. Each one amplifies the other. So you're going to get far better results if you have perseverance and self-control or optimism and empathy. It's not one, it's several. That's why you're going to also go, I can't do this tomorrow. No, you're not supposed to do this tomorrow. You're <laughs> supposed to be you with this and the rest of your parenting career with this child until he reaches adulthood because it's an ongoing process. So, Trace, do you want to start going through? Yeah. So, the sure. first one um, that was listed was self-confidence. And I, I feel like this one is a hard one to teach because it's not like you can say, oh, Johnny, you're you're so good at blah, 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 or you should be really proud. Like, it's, it's, in, it's self-confidence, so it's in them, and they have to believe it, not me telling them that they're good at something or they're competent at something. How do you, what do you have to say about that? Because I feel like that's a tough one. It is a tough one. All of these aren't easy. That's the thing that go, oh gosh, this is an easy set, but it's made up of skills. What we do know is self-understanding is critical. So what do you do with the self-confident kid is you don't trophyize them to death. It's got to be an internally, I got it from the inside out. And we start raising kids based on who they are, not what we want them to become. So your first step on this is really stepping into your kid's shoes and figuring out who this little guy is. For instance, it may not be what you love. And it may not be what you were raised in. One of my favorite stories when I was interviewing parents about, you know, the kids who had confidence is one dad admitted that he had no idea 
his eighth grader, his passion was wolves. Wolves, can you imagine that? He says he knows everything there is about wolves. Go figure, how the heck am I gonna, I'm not gonna ignite my kid on wolves. So I decided to take him to Yellowstone Park and just go, okay, let's do Yellowstone Park and arrange him to meet with the ranger. He said it was the most amazing moment of my parenting career because I sat there listening to my kid talking to a ranger. He knew more about wolves than the ranger. And at the end of it, I went, my gosh, this is what's creating passion for this kid. He actually wants to grow up and be a biologist. I better get my act together and follow my kid and not who I want to be. So step one is start with a who. It's gonna, it's going to be awe-inspiring and sometimes be a roller coaster because you're gonna discover it isn't anything like you thought or how you were raised, but how wonderful that is because it's your wonderful kid and you're trying to help him become the best he can be. Slowly start helping him discover that strength. Slowly maybe getting him to other with mentors. If you don't know anything about it, he didn't know anything about a wolf, so he arranged him to get a park ranger. And then keep on going. That's where you put the time and energy into it. Here's one other little thing. Uh, just the fascinating work from University of California. They also discovered that the average kid gives up their talent, their real strength at age 13. They track them. Why do they give it up? At th- I mean, immense talent. The kid says, because I don't have enough time to practice it. So carve in time for that talent, because that's what's going to get your kid shine and develop that confidence. So my favorite of the trades is empathy. Um, And, you know, I've heard it called a soft skill, but you say that it's actually the foundation of success and happiness and it can be cultivated. And Unselfie is about cultivating empathy. People can learn to think of others, right? Oh, I think the biggest mistake we do is think that's locked. And the second thing, our biggest mistake, it's a soft and fluffy skill of who needs empathy. Well, in reality, you want to know how your kid's going to get employed? Harvard says that's the top employability factor. You want to be able to work well into a team. Uh, what we're now looking at, the, the biggest thing that, that uh, Fortune 500 companies are doing is having to hire empathy trainers because their employ- incoming employees are so low, they can't get into the shoes of the client. You want a kid who's mentally healthy? The highest correlation to mental health is togetherness. A kid who thinks we, not me. Can it be cultivated? Yeah, it can. How you do it? Well, first of all, one of the easiest ones is keep reading to your kid. Don't stop reading. Wonder. Why is that the most popular book of all times? Why does every middle school kid who I interview say, make sure that every kid keeps to keep reading The Outsiders? 50 years ago, that book was published. Why? Because it helps us get into the shoes of those other people. It helps us know what inclusion and exclusion feels like. Literary fiction literally expands our kids' empathy. It also helps them relax. It's also highly correlated to resilience. Yes, it's going to help them in classrooms as well. But the key is it's going to help them get along. Films. It elevates your child or it takes them down. Watch what your kid watches. Doom and gloom reports aren't doing anything for our kids. So you can also get help your kid by just being selective on what you want to watch. Watch together. Dunkirk. Oh, my gosh. With a teen, the moment all those boats arrived to help everybody during World War II, I defy you to not watch that section and not cry. But to also get with your kid and go, my gosh, look what those people did for one another. Uh, And now the other thing is, please start talking feelings far more naturally with your kids. It's the gateway to empathy. 
because you can't feel with another person unless you go, he sounds upset or she looks stressed or he really looks upset. So just be natural. We talk feelings far more with our daughters than we do with We've our We've done sons. an episode on that. <laughs> It's yeah, sad. I bet because I'm the mother, a mother of three boys. I got guilt ridden as soon as I saw that. So if they have permission to start talking feelings, it's going to lay into the next one on helping them learn self-control. It all works together. The next trait that you have listed was self-control. Can we flush that out a little bit? You can because a thriver is a kid who can put on their brakes on impulses so they can think straight and self-regulate. Now, what that means is that first they need the feelings. So some of these skills, there's a three skills in each chapter that it's going to work together and they all mesh. Now, now that multiplier effect's coming in. Once you know the feelings from empathy, now what you're going to be able to do is first apply them to yourself. I'm starting to feel angry or irritated, mom. Don't give them time out. Tell them instead, time in. Oh my gosh, thank you for telling me. Now let's figure out what you can do instead. Maybe this week you do the glorious thing of having kids walk around the house and point out each other's stress signs. You know, right before you go to play that game, you start to do that weird thing with your hands or you start to get really flushed or your cheeks start to get upset or you grind your teeth. That's your stress sign. How cool is that? Because now you as a mom or dad can say, so here's what you do. And the best way to help kids reduce stress, I learned from Navy SEALs when I was working on Army bases. They said, you know what? Coolest thing to teach a kid, tell them to do a one-two breath. It keeps us through a battle. I bet it's going to keep the kids okay through anxiety. I said, what's a one-two breath? As soon as the stress kicks in, you immediately say to yourself inside your head to negate the stress, I got this, or it's okay, relax. Then you take a slow, deep breath from your stomach, slow, deep. Like you're riding up an elevator, hold it when you get to the top and slowly let it out. But the seals all say your exhale has got to be twice as long as your inhale. Now, here's the piece. Don't try to teach that to the kid when they're in meltdown. You will get nowhere. (laughs) So you teach them when they're in a relaxed, calm mode. And don't just teach your irritated kid. Use it as a whole family. Let's all do it together. Because the best way to teach any of the, there's at least a well, my gosh, there's about 300 ideas you can use in on, sel- in on selfie and 300 you can use in Thrivers. Don't do them all. Your kid will never let you read another <laughs> book out loud again. Instead, <laughs> choose one that you want to use as a family and then show it to your kid because kids learn any of these skills best by showing, not telling. Do it over and over and over until your kid can do it without you. Oh, my gosh. Now you've got a kid who's got the skill of self-control. All right integrity can you teach integrity i hope we can and yes we can and i know we can and boy do we need it because adults are behaving very 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 badly and the kids are watching our behavior Uh, i know you can teach integrity because the best book i ever found actually was on the killing fields i walked out from viewing it after working with kids i was in a crying jag i go up in cambodia where genocide had just eradicated an entire Again, get through this story. And a little teeny card table is outside in the killing fields with a book called The Altruistic Personality. I buy it. I go, what the heck is this? It's by a social psychologist named Samuel Oliner. He was rescued during World War II. His entire family was killed during the Holocaust. Not him. He was rescued by a perfect stranger. 
And now his entire life, he's tried to figure out what creates the Bewindas of the world. Those people who have integrity, who risk their lives to help perfect strangers. He interviews 200, no, excuse me, 1,200 Christian rescuers. They, you won't know that they exist because those kind of altruists don't want a trophy. They aren't looking for the citizen of the month. They do it because it's the inside out and they have integrity. So he said, what do you have in common? How you were raised? Every kid said, it was how I was raised. Number one, my parents always modeled kindness. They, I always saw them being kind. You see it, you catch it. Number two, my parents expected it. They kept saying, in this house, this is what we stand for. Keep repeating what you stand for. And number three, interestingly enough, my parents had us do good. We we brought homemade cookies to the neighbor next door when she was sad. Or if the neighbor needed to have his rakes, but we, we help him rake the lawn. Whatever it is, when the kids said I did good and I saw that I could do good, it changed my image of myself. There's a lot of other things you can do, but integrity can be cultivated and we better get our acts together. Model it. The next one is uh, curiosity. And this one I was interested in as well because um, I read somewhere that the World Economic Forum predicts curiosity will be one of the most crucial skills in the future. And the Mars, was it the Mars Perseverance just landed? And I saw a tweet by one of the guys that worked for NASA and his his whole thing, his tweet was about his GPA in college was 2.4. And he thought maybe he wasn't going to be good enough for engineering. But he just landed two spacecraft on Mars and is designing one for the moon. And he said, Cur- curiosity matters. And I was like, that is so cool because it's not about the grade. It was like he's curious and he got into science and engineering. And look at what the hell he did. <laughs> Crazy. It's pretty impressive. I love that tweet. Because when I was devouring which of these traits matter most, the one that surprised me the most was curiosity also. And here's the other thing we better worry. When I was looking at the stats on curiosity, American kids are nosediving faster than any other kid in the world in curiosity starting at age five. Why? Because they're so worried about is their project good enough? What am I going to get for it? So they're nosediving in it. The simple thing of curiosity and why it creates a thriver is because a thriver stays open to possibilities. When they're up against an obstacle, they're not a kid who gives up and goes, I don't know what to do. Instead, they brainstorm a problem or figure out a way around it, just like that that wonderful scientist just told you. So the thing on this one is keep your kids continuing to be inquisitive. Don't say, I don't know, but instead say, let's go find out. Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Keep a lot of their ideas that they're doing open-ended so it's not so locked into it. Teachers say they're so worried that kids, high school, college, they're not raising their hands anymore to be outside-the-box thinkers, which what a curious kid is, because they're worried about the grade. Colleges, colleges. It's called coddling of the American mind. Colleges are now so concerned that kids are so worried in Ivy League schools that their grades aren't good enough that they're now going to report to a report, an English professor. Can you imagine this in college? If they don't warn them that there's a triggering episode that could be emotionally distressful in a literature book like To Kill a Mockingbird and When Things Fall Apart, and they could get fired if they do. We got to keep our kids open. 
Because if we don't, there goes their thriving potential, plus there goes their critical thinking potential. And you're right. Global Economic Summit, World Forum says this is one of the most incredible 21st century skills. And there's easy ways to open it. Brainstorming is probably the number one. Anytime your kid has a problem from this moment on, don't go solving it for them. Instead, go, oh, okay, thanks for telling me the problem. Now let's figure out another option. Let's just keep storming our brain. When, when my daughter was in second grade, she, her teacher did a, a wonder project and it was a Aww. wonder hour where you could you could put anything that you were curious about up on a board. And then on a certain day of the week, that was a time for you to go and investigate it. And that was kind of leads to how you started this whole conversation is it's driven by the kid. So it's the passion of the kid. And that's why they're going to really be vested in it because you're not telling them what to do. They're like genuinely jazzed to go look and research on this topic. Oh. And they develop something called flow. University of Chicago says, once you get into an interested state, you won't quit. You keep on going. Um, in high school, they're doing what's called genius hour. And that is you figure out a project you want to continue to find out more about. And it just keeps the kid into passion and keep on going. Each chapter in Thrivers also has an exemplary school. I went and visited places all over the world to figure out who's doing it right Best thing I ever saw in my life was the MIT Multimedia Lab in Cambridge, where the top geniuses in the world are there producing like Surrey and AI. And when I walk in, the one criterion is failure is fine. What your option is to figure out when you fail, what caused it, and how you're going to flip it around in order to do it differently. And everybody's in interdisciplinary states. It's not like the math guys are over here and the science guys are over here. They're all working together. And it's phenomenal watching the best of the best, the most incredible geniuses doing exactly what we should be doing with our younger kids to keep curiosity alive. We've touched on perseverance and, you know, we talked about the actual, the rover being called perseverance. And you have just mentioned this, Michelle, but um, perseverance is, it's a problem in my house. I've got a 12 year old who does not want to continue when things get difficult. So how do we teach our kids that failure is learning? right? But the pushing through when it when it's uncomfortable. Well, number one is, now we got the multiplier effect. One of the things that causes the, I can't keep doing, is the lack of self-control. Meaning, one, one of the skills in self-control isn't just stress management, but it's focusing. What we're finding is that many of our kids are such multitaskers that they All of research says they may be telling you that they're great little multitaskers, but all of the neuroscientists says, ah, 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 you can't do it all because your brain will go apart. The second thing is we've got to reframe success as a gain, G-A-I-N. You're one step more than you were yesterday. You're not, your aim isn't 100% today. If you're at 70%, you keep on trekking through. The next thing we do is we use what Carol Dweck says is the growth mindset model. Stop praising the end product. You got 100%, sweetheart. Let's put your picture on the refrigerator. No, instead is Wow, you're hanging in there. I love how much effort you're putting into it. You're not quitting. You're not giving it up. What Carol Dweck and phenomenal researchers have discovered is if we praise the effort, not the end product, the kid begins to realize, I got the agency. It's not my IQ that matters. It's not the teacher that matters. It's how hard I work. Goal setting seems to be critical as well as this trait. That's one of the skills in that chapter. Each of these traits has... Here's the three skills that seem to be the most highly correlated. How do you teach goal setting? Easy. Model it yourself. And you start with goals have a formula. 
I will plus what plus when. As you get older, you add how. So you start modeling it. Oh my gosh, when you walk into the laundry room, I will finish 5,000 loads of laundry today by the end of three o'clock. And how I'm going to do it? Just putting in, you know, load by load. What you're actually doing is modeling goal setting. Um, an interesting dad told me, uh, he came to one of my workshops and I was sitting there going, why the heck are you here? You have eight of the most highly, <laughs> incredibly uh, thriving kids who are achievement oriented. What the heck are you here for? At the end of it, I actually asked him, you got unbelievable thrivers. And he said, well, you can always learn more. I said, okay, I'm asking you the question. What the heck did you do right to raise these kids so incredibly well? And he actually was stumped for a minute. He goes, oh, I know I do one thing since the age of three. I said, okay, what? He says, I pull each of my kids apart aside and said, so what are you going to work on this week? Or when they're three, what are you going to work on in this minute? What are you going to work on this month? And actually what I did when I now think about it, I was teaching my kids to set goals. And at the end, I go back at the end of a minute or the end of, depending on the age of the kid, of the month, what do you need? Are you succeeding? Are you getting over the hump? That's phenomenal because it's a teachable skill. I mean, I've learned more from parents at my workshops going, what you do right? And they reaffirm the science. The last one of the character traits you uh, listed is optimism. What do you mean by that? I mean a kid who can find a silver lining, but it's not a Pollyanna. He's realistic in his level here. We're not looking for little Miss Sunshines because this is there. These are tough, tough times, but we do know something about optimism from the University of Pennsylvania. Phenomenal studies. Optimistic kids are less likely to be depressed because a kid who becomes pessimistic, he becomes permanent in his negative thinking patterns that everything is bad this isn't temporary a thriver says i'm going to get through it it'll just be right now a pessimist goes it's going to be permanent and pervasive and i can't do anything about it so some tricks that you can do and again the goal of thrivers when i was writing it is to give you a repertoire of possibilities a a teen said the best thing he said you gotta give kids lots of different options mindfulness works for some kids meditation is great for others but don't go thinking it's gonna work for me give us some a bunch of stuff and then we're gonna figure out what works for us and then part two he said you don't learn it in a textbook you got to keep practicing this stuff over and over again until it becomes us so That's your motto when you use it in your own home. Strategy number one, for a kid who's a science-based kid, this will never end. This virus is going on forever. Okay, then let's look at science. Let's study a minute. You give context or you put it in perspective. Let's look at the Spanish flu or let's look at Ebola or let's look at polio. For some kids, that's going to help because they go, it's temporary. We will get through it. Other kids, they need a statement. Navy SEALs said it. The moment the stress comes in, they put in a a statement to negate the negativity. We got this. We'll get through it. How cool right now is your entire family to come up with a family mantra? We got this. We'll get through it and keep marching it through. The negative kid after a while will repeat it so your voice becomes his voice. And the final thing I would please do, the doom and gloom stuff is killing our kids and killing us. Watch the TV and turn it off, but instead do something 
bring back Fred Rogers. God, do I miss him. What he'd always tell my kids to do is look for the good guys. Look for the helpers. We can do the same thing. Take the newspaper, go to the back page and cut out the great stuff that's happening in the real world. They're usually about, you know, one inch level, but take it out, then blow it up then paste it on index cards. Phenomenal wonderful stories about children and then every night at dinner how about reviewing those or every night before your kid goes to bed let's review about there's two kids a 10 year old and a 15 year old in philadelphia true stories always true two girls who got tired of the doom and the gloom so they went down to their basement they took their cell phones and they decided to start making videos of good stuff that was happening in their neighborhood and they just kind of sent them to some of their friends who the friends sent them to their parents. And the parents said, tell those girls to start keep making those videos. Well, it went viral. Everybody is now clicking onto those girls' videos, and it's exactly what research says. Images elevate us or take us down to doom and gloom. We got to elevate ourselves and elevate our kids, and that's how we raise thrivers. Speaking of optimism, I would end videos. uh, John Krasinski's Some Good News, you know, back in the... But when the coronavirus first started, that was a, a mandatory family thing that we sat on the couch yeah. and we would Chromecast it on the big screen and watch it. And it just made us all smile and laugh and see, like, turn turn it around a little bit. And like, yeah, things kind of suck right now, but look at what good stuff is happening. And that so that would be my example of your. Oh, Tracy, I love it. In fact, that's in Thrivers. I went through what are the best ideas that people are doing. His idea, I absolutely love. You know, there's a group of kids in Long Island High School who got so tired of the doom and gloom prior to the pandemic. This is prior to the pandemic. They were still doom and gloom. They convinced their superintendent to buy a huge plasma screen, put it in the opening of the quad. So they walked into school. It would start flipping videos of the good stuff that was happening. When I walked into school that day, we're talking teens. They were all lolled around this big old plasma screen, looking up, smiling, because it was just reports of good stuff. And then they go, they, they looked at me, they smiled, they go, we got this now, and walked off to class. And I went, oh, how simple and great is that? That's awesome. <sighs> yeah. So, you know, we're speaking of optimism, and we got this. At the start of the show, you know, I said, I'm trying to turn obstacles into opportunities. Do you think this year spent together at home with some isolation, but with some closeness with the families, is there anything positive about it? Can can we find the silver lining about what has been going on during COVID? We can always find the silver lining. We just need to dig a little more. Harvard did find a study that said in some cases, in some families, it's bringing them closer together. I think the key number one we need to know is that resilient children have resilient parents. You got to keep your own stress in back because your stress mirrors over and we'll go right. That's how your kid will catch it. But number two on all of this, my hope is that every parent realizes our kids need something more than the GPA. They need something more than the test score. And there's a new set of skills that they need. Maybe they're finally recognizing the kids are stressed. The kids are becoming pessimistic. But I hope above all else, they realize resilience is teachable. Thrivers are made, not born. It's easy to do if we just dig in. It doesn't take a PhD or a fancy program. Just flip through Thrivers, find one strategy that's easy and keep doing it for at least 21 days. Until it becomes a habit or your kid goes, yeah, a minute a day. 
You know, and the other thing, parents go, how do I remember it? Tell your most verbal kid to be a reminder. Mom, <laughs> we're supposed to be doing that one-two breath. They never let you down. And oh, no, soon, they don't. They're, the, yeah, they're fabulous. So thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Borba, author of the book, the first book uh, on selfie, Why Empathetic Kids Succeed in an All About Me World, which Ann and I both loved. And the new book that's out this month, Thrivers, The Surprising Reasons Why Some Kids Struggle and Others Survive. I, I really appreciated this book, your new book. I had an advanced copy. I love how the chapters are organized with the age by age ideas because I'm a very, I need recipes to cook. Mm-hmm. I don't just, I can't throw things together. So I literally need you to hold my hand and walk me through it. So <laughs> at the end of the chapters, when you did that and, and as well as how you modeled it with the five takeaways at the end, that's kind of like the cliff note. So if you kind of glimpse through it and then you're like, you need to be hammered, hammered over the head with it a little bit more that, that the way you structured the book was, was really great. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. I just love what talking to you too. Thank you much. <laughs> We're going to get through this. Thank you, Michelle. You do give us hope. You guys are great. Do you know how great and fun you are? You're oh. fabulous. <laughs> thank oh, we, you. You are a bright and shining light. Thank oh, you so no. much. Oh, it's like only if the person on the other end is talking to me is bright and shining. <laughs> it's like <laughs> downward. Thank, thank you thank so you, much, Michelle. Michelle. You're welcome. Some of these days, let's get do this again or just talk. Be safe. Thanks, guys. Okay, thank you, you too. Thank you. Cheers. So apparently after the last year, parents should really take a good hard look at the priorities and opportunities to build on all these soft skills because um, as Michelle said, these soft skills have real life implications for your child's future success, both professionally and with their mental health, right? Yeah. And they could be the difference between whether they struggle or survive challenging times and adversity. You know, and I know one trait our parents could work on that would help us survive and thrive as absolutely average parents and podcasters. What trait is that, Tracy? (laughs) I think it would be super duper empathetic of them to tell their friends and family about our little podcast. We'd love for you to rate us or leave us a review. Uh, We'd be very grateful and we'd watch your feedback too. Suggestions for making the podcast better or maybe even um, topics that we should cover. Yeah. So check out our Facebook page. Share our posts if you like them. Um, You can reach us via email at apparentlypodcast at gmail.com. And um, just reach out, please. We're here. This is a WGN Plus podcast. I'm Tracy Weiner. And I'm Ann Johnsos. Thanks for listening to Apparently. Apparently.